we left off I hope being a little bit more clear as to what it means that the world exists in order to set us free that is whatever happens to us can set us free but we have to know how to meet the world in a very special way and to learn from it The teaching of the Buddha, the Kalama Sutta, and then uh, to further specify it, the Buddha's dialogue with his son, Rahula, if you recall, the emphasis was on skillful and unskillful. Uh, The Kalama is talking about, uh, I believe, a balanced approach between teachings, wise, the counsel of of the wise, and our personal experience, either extreme, that is if you, what the Buddha is saying is don't give absolute authority over to something just because it's ancient. Of course, because it's ancient, it may not be true. But we have to be careful because because it's ancient, it may also be true. In spite of it being ancient, it may apply to right in, in, in our time. In fact, Karada and I have been bringing suttas into it a lot. And the sutras, uh, if they're not relevant to our life right here and now, then uh, what's the point? Uh, Then it belongs in another place. But I think what uh, we're trying to show, and I hope to some degree that's clear, is that the sutras are about us. The Buddha's teaching all came out of being challenged by different kinds of people with different kinds of problems and how to meet them. So this sutra, which is saying don't give absolute authority over to theory, to logic, to inference, uh, to something because it's old, to your teacher, or all in in that line. Don't give absolute or control over it. And finally, you have to trust your own experience. Uh, Is it beneficial? Beneficial meaning skillful. Skillful meaning it goes away from suffering. Unskillful means it brings suffering to ourselves and to the pe- other people. Sounds good. Uh, another way of putting it, if I could subtitle, I would say the, the, what the Buddha is talking about in the Kalama Sutta is the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You ever heard this say? Usually people say the proof is in the pudding. It's not completely correct. I have a friend uh, who's no longer with us, but we, we were experts on trivia. We used to rival, see who could, be, who could be, we loved cliches, and the more trivial the better. He mastered me. He was much more uh, trivial than I was. <laughs> but I was pretty good. And anyway, he's the one who pointed out, because I would say, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is, he said, no. The proof is in the pudding, but only if you eat it. So you have to take a bite into it and taste it, uh, and then test it. And then, is it good pudding, or is it not? If it's not, set it aside. If it is, finish it. So 
that's that underlying practical attitude of the Buddha. It's uh, pragmatic. Um, for example, <clears throat> in Cambridge there are many scholars, uh, some of whom are scholars of Buddhist studies. There are also archaeologists, uh, specialists in dating things, with uh, all kinds of specialists, and they come to the to our center in Cambridge from time to time. And it's been pointed out, well, you know, those original teachings of the Buddha, we have evidence that shows that some of it was 100 years later. We're not sure if uh, the Buddha ever said that. This was uh, doesn't this is inconsistent with that. The Buddha never spoke that way, and a whole bunch of deduced from scientific evidence. And let's assume it's true. In fact, let's go further than the scholars. Let's assume there never was a Buddha, that it's just something made up. Uh, the proof of the puddings in the eating. Many of us have applied this teaching for years, and it has been beneficial. So maybe there was no Buddha. Maybe it's made up by a bunch of smart guys and gals who got together at some think tank and put it together. Uh, and maybe it was just 100 years ago. I don't know. Palo Alto, California, or someplace. <laughs> and we all fell for it. But what if it works? What if it helps you live? Well, it's not authentic. Uh, the value of it is uh, the authentic quality that has to do with how it helps us live. Um, <clears throat> so there are a number of factors involved. One is learning. One is self-knowing. Um, the Buddhist, if, if you haven't learned something about yourself in the week here, I'd be surprised. You can't walk around in silence like this and do something repetitive over and over again without it bringing something up about, about yourself, myself. Uh, but this isn't self-knowledge. What the Buddha's talking about is not self-knowledge. I would use the word self-knowing. It's something that happens in the active present. It's not accumulating information about yourself and then writing it into a notebook uh, to further enrich the story of me and my life, starring me, directed by me, produced by me, uh, popcorn sold in the lobby by me. <laughs> and then, you know, all those titles at the end of a movie, Gaffer, a flood, what, are, I don't even, what is a gaffer? You know, all me. Good guys, bad guys, you know. Uh, and, oh, here's some more. Uh, my insights. And we come home with a book chock full of insights. Some of you, I think, are doing that, aren't you? There's usually a criminal underculture, subculture, <laughs> where you tell, oh, yeah, we're doing, you know, we walk around like this, but... But we, we're on to you, you know. <laughs> okay. So self-knowing is when you see something, you learn something about in the present moment that happens about yourself. And the value of it is in that moment. And it's, you don't store it up. It's not an acquisition. Uh, it may contribute. Sometimes we need a few of those, or many of those, to finally learn a, a very important lesson. But it's not uh, rewriting or editing or enhancing the story of our life. And that's, I think, an important point. So self-knowing is something that happens as we live. It's active. 
it happens when we sit. Here we do a lot of sitting. Soon we'll be home. And self-knowing happens in action as well. So learning, uh, learning how to live. You got the handout, I hope. I put a handout uh, out for you. Uh, there's one t typographical error. It's uh, at the bottom. It's, it isn't made. It's a uh, um, hokusai. It says mad about drawing, not made about drawing. Um, and the issue is, can the art of living, wisdom, can that be something that uh, we love? We love to do it. So that it isn't, we, we're not practicing, it's not just like cod liver oil, that actually the process of learning is something that is a joy for us, even when what you're learning is painful. So let's talk about learning for a moment. Uh, I don't know about you, but for myself, I grew up in a home where learning was respected, books all over the place, and learning was definitely a high priority. But learning meant books and going to school. And then you finish school, or you put a book down, and then you live. It took me a long time to understand that, that in a sense, this kind of learning that we're encouraging uh, one another to do here, to, make, to in, in, uh, take on here, uh, is something that never ends. It's our, we're learning as we live, continuously. So it's self-discovery, and it doesn't end. As long as you're alive, there are things to be learned about what it means to be human and to be living uh, amidst other humans and animals and nature on this planet, everything that makes up our life. It took me quite a while to understand uh, that in addition to learning from books, which has been very, very helpful for me, and the learning I got in officially in schools, that is another kind of learning, uh, whether you call it wisdom or not, that can happen, but you have to want to learn. Teachers can do just so much. Parents can do just so much. If you don't want to learn about how you live, then I don't see it won't go that far. Now, what I've discovered, because I've been teaching this way for a number of years, and those of you who are from Cambridge, I think you... I'm intensifying it. Uh, what I found is that there's resistance, that at a certain level, and many, many, if not most, if not all people, went to college and university. And so, you know, learning is respected. But when you come to a meditation center, just tell me what to do. Give me my method, my technique, I'll do it, and then I'll be okay, right? Wrong. Uh, so th there are methods. There is definitely technique. And it can be helpful, but it requires us to stay supple, flexible, open. You know, the famous don't know mind, the famous beginner's mind, a freshness about life, meeting it directly. And it's not limited to here. It's not limited to uh, any place in particular. So that life can't be separated from practice, and practice can't be separated from life. Now, to begin with, that doesn't feel true, something I think we have to learn. Practice feels so very different than living. But more and more, uh, we have to see that it's the same taste. In, in the tea ceremony literature, they'll say that uh, this is about Zen. The taste of tea and the taste of Zen is one taste. But that's only if tea is done a certain way. Okay, so let's stay with this learning. The learning that I'm talking about here is learning how to live. Can that become an art? Can we take delight and joy in that ongoing, just as Hokusai did in drawing a line. Okay, 
it's up to you. If you're if you just want to get calm, in out in out in out in out and out, it's fine. You will. Be careful that you don't become mechanical, because we do a lot of things here over and over and over again. I would call that training, and that can be really valuable. The challenge is, can you stay fresh in the midst of doing something over and over and over again? And sometimes we we aren't. Uh, let's say ceremony or ritual, people get caught up in it, uh, and it becomes dead, and it doesn't have much transformative power. However, the challenge is, uh, can you follow the rules, but also in the process of following the rules, go beyond the rules? That means to be alive, doing the same thing. By the way, even if you are not much for ritual, ceremony, and I'm not, don't we repeat, don't we have our own personal rituals and say, so how many more times do we have to brush our teeth, floss, wash up in the morning? We do a lot of things over and over and over and over again. Walk up the same street, there's that same dog, bow wow, bow wow, same green fence, again and again and again. Uh, the challenge is to stay fresh in the same ra- in a round of life that repeats itself again, over and over and over again. Seeing a friend who you see every day or very often, can you see that friend as if for the first and last time, even though you know you're going to see them again? Can you have that much respect for, the, for life in the form of a friend or in the form of Bao Wow? Okay. So what is this skillful, unskillful? Um, we're, to begin with, we're quite a crude instrument because we, we're... Uh, it's, it's asking us to, let's say, as in any skill, act and then watch the results and learn from the outcome. And, of course, if there are people who have mastered a certain or have gone before you and know more about carpentry or photography or dance or whatever the art is, it would be foolish to not take advantage of learning something from them. Uh, so the art is doing that, but then the question comes up, and a few of you are starting to ask it, well, how do you know if something's skillful or unskillful? You have to do the best you can. And at first, we're not very clear. The mind is not clear at all. It, it's filled up uh, with a lot of waves, tsunami, sometimes. I got that from Sunim. We, we have a few limited words. We had a conversation at tea time, and we got, I think we communicated. We, we didn't have a lot of words, but we got through. One is mind some, sometimes smooths out, sometimes tsunami. Okay, so it's for, for all of us. Uh, so all we can do is live our life as best we can. It's helpful, certainly at the beginning, to have people who have, who have already learned certain lessons and are willing to share it with us. The Buddha, etc. Many since the Buddha. And then we have to put it to a test and see if indeed it's true. Um, and we're learning how to learn. Uh, it's not something that happens mechanically and automatically. And you have to watch, and, and it's a lifetime endeavor. I don't think you ever fully master and say, well, I've mastered life. Maybe there are some people who have. I haven't met them. So that it's a process of, uh, the process itself can be fulfilling and enjoyable but you have to want to have to want to learn from it i personally find there's much more energy in that and it's the sensitivity that Karada was getting at last night 
developing sensitivity to what's happening. And uh, I would add here, and learning from what uh, you see the outcome to be from what you're doing. Okay, Uh, a few examples. You know, here we have a late night sitting at whatever, what is it, 9.30, whatever time it is, 9.15. We have a choice. The evening can be over, and you go back to your room uh, and go to sleep. That's pretty easy to do. Maybe have a drink before. Or you can stay, Come after you have a drink, you can come back into the hall and sit or do some walking meditation. And I would say there are two main styles. One is a strong style, which is more... Um, it's got a lot in common with the military. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. You will come back to the hall. You get up at the same time, you sit every sitting, you don't move, etc. And there's value in that. There really is, having done a lot of it. Uh, There's also danger in it. Not danger, there can be, but limitations to it. Because you can get locked into the, the, the... uh, the drill aspect of it, repetitive activity. and But it's safer in that if you're willing to do it, uh, then you're more likely to not cut corners. The other approach, which is growing out of what's being said here, is you learn. So that, for example, let's say, t- start tonight. Start and finish tonight, but you'll have other... You'll have other opportunities when you get home. It is just a simple example of how wisdom gets developed. Let's say it's over, the, the official sitting is over, and then there's the choice. Do I, got, do I go up and go to sleep, or do I have a drink and come back into the hall and sit or do some walking meditation? Sometimes wisdom is going to sleep. Sometimes wisdom is coming back. Well, how do I know which is which? Is which? Uh, and the mind, we know that we humans are very capable of self-deception, of fooling ourselves. We are very good at it. And you might say, well, then why, why do it? If we knew we were doing it, it wouldn't be self-deception. We believe our own perceptions and our own conclusions and our own minds. And so here, if you, if you start looking at your mind like getting to know another person or getting to know a country or a culture, little by little, things start to emerge and reveal themselves and you learn. So that at first, the easiest thing might be, oh, I'm really tired, I've worked so hard today, I'm just going to go up and go to sleep. That may be true. If you come back to, to, to practice, it may be that um, nothing much happens, just this stuff, you know, nodding off, nodding off. But you feel a certain heroic quality. <laughs> you know, for example, sometimes people would report... Um, Oh, and I wa- did walking meditation until 3 in the morning. Okay, but what happened during the, those hours? I mean, maybe there's a medal for a stamina. But uh, what was going on? And so what's being asked here is a sensitivity. Now, in the short run, it's more dangerous because it's so easy to just... you want Somehow or another, you hear this teaching, but you wind up going to sleep every night anyway. Whereas with the, the military style... You get to do things, whether you like it or not, and there's some value in that. I'm not arguing for either or. It's a blend, actually, of both. There's something useful in both. But in the long run, personally, I favor the sensitivity, and the discipline is the discipline of, of learning. And you learn, the teacher is life. 
and you're a disciple of your own understanding. And But you have to want that. Life is teaching all the time, never stops, 24-7, never stops. And what we need is someone to sign up for the course. We have to enroll. We have to do it. Uh, it can be a great pudding. We've got to bite into it and eat it and find out if it is. So the yoga, the real, life is the yoga. It's teaching us, and we can learn all kinds of things. That requires taking responsibility for ourselves. The Buddha weighed that very heavily. Be a lamp unto yourself just before dying. Finally, who is going to... Finally, of course you have to depend on yourself. Who else are you going to depend on? And yet we can receive help. Okay, so uh, don't get discouraged if you uh, think something is skillful and then it turns out that it's not skillful and then you realize uh, uh, you lose confidence in yourself. That's how the learning comes about through mistakes. Some of you are writers. Anyone who's written, you know, there are more pages in the waste paper basket than ever get written. Piles of stuff. If it weren't for the, de- and the delete button, you know, cyberspace is filled up with junk, you know, from the delete button. I don't know where cyberspace is, but it, maybe it's over there. Uh, and then a nice, neat, concise, beautifully written book comes out of it. It's the same in life. Of course we make mistakes. The difference is we fall down. We get up. We fall down. Falling down is, is nothing. That's not, that's not trouble. It's not getting up, that is. So um, if you recall, what I was trying to emphasize is the importance of an attitude that sees life as one whole. One whole. When you hear... Correct action here is to, is to live a, a, a contemplative life, which has a lot of silence. You know what the round of life is here. To give yourself over to it, 100%. And then when you leave here tomorrow, wherever you're leaving, let it go. It's over. And give yourself over to your children. Give yourself over to your car first, I think, you know, as you drive. Uh, and it keeps going like that. Um, I, I promised Corrado I'd get to certain things, and not only that, I promised a number of you. Um, so self-knowing and learning how to live, are, you can't separate them. Because as you get to know yourself, what you're learning is how you've lived. It's sh- in other words, uh, uh, and relationship is a, an incredible way to, that uh, helps reveal it's self-disclosure. And I'm not just personal relationship, but life is entering into relationship with all the time. And then what the Buddha is saying is offering us is a new approach to how to approach everything, how to relate to things in a different way. So we live the same life as people who never heard of meditation, but our approach is different. We suffer too. We bleed if some if we get pricked. We are frightened. We get old, sick, and die. So does everyone. So what we're learning is how to relate to the same life that everyone else has to live, but differently. That's, that's how the world sets us free. Otherwise, we're going to be struggling with life as it is and, and preferring an imaginary world that we make up in some future that doesn't exist, horrible one, maybe it's many years down the pike, or a wonderful one. There was someone in Cambridge some years ago who at, 
I think she was like 48, 46. She came in and she was suffering a lot about, she was afraid of going to an old age home. And because she'd read all these stories that you go to a home and uh, you veg out, you don't get good care and the patients are not taken care of. And not only that, uh, I might not be coherent and had an incredible, terrible scenario about nursing home life. I'm not saying that can't be true. And she was really suffering. My advice to her was, please enroll now. Give yourself up and go to the nursing home because you're already there. Uh, and you'll be the star because you're the, you're the only one who can talk, you know, can hear. The nurses will love you. The doctors will love you. Get it over with because you're already there. Well, you're going to do it again and again and again, and then someday you may actually be there. But do you have to enroll 100,000 times? Let it, if it happens, let it happen, and then we'll worry about it. You see what I'm getting at? So a lot of our practice is getting real. It's starting to see the, how, what the mind does, how it makes up things, and then we believe in it, and then we have to work our way out of what we've created. Okay. Um, This self-knowing stuff, very, very important. And now let's start moving towards home. But it's going on here as well. But I want to make sure that you see the implications of this uh, are not limited to IMS. And that when, you go, when we go home, that whatever your life is, that practice can help you. Um, one of the things that uh, I see, and it's not just myself, as many of us see, is that... Um, Certainly to begin with, many of us are really interested in self-improvement. Self-improvement. That's not liberation. We want to have a kinder me, a more compassionate me, a more generous me, a more polite me, uh, a less resistant me, uh, a thinner me, uh, (laughs) a a better-looking me, and so forth. It's still me. Okay. And it's progressive. If I keep doing this practice, little by little, I'll polish up that me, and it'll get better and better and better. From the point of view of Dharma, what is progressing is sorrow. We're caught in the Because that goes on forever. If you think you're going to get a a perfect personality, I hope you do better than I did. (laughs) You're issued one when you get born in that big supply room. They give you one, and then, yeah, you do something with it, of course. But dharma is naturally, it is getting to know the me. You have to start there. And the Buddha is a very skillful teacher. He doesn't start by assuming that we're all just heading for enlightenment. Uh, There's an acceptance of the fact that we're still egomaniacs on the path. Uh, And I say that, I shouldn't, that's derogatory. We're still filled up with ourselves when we start the path. How else can we begin? We can, if we began as enlightened people, we wouldn't need a path. So it's quite realistic. And that's, I think, what Carraro is getting at is like the gradations of the ocean. So there's a gradual path that little by little, you shed certain coarse attachments, picking up more refined attachments, letting go of those more and more refined ones, until, of course, the big one to let go of is are these views and opinions and notions especially notions about who you are. Um,
a, a great Japanese master named Dogen, uh, I think, put it beautifully, and maybe that can help us understand what, what's being gotten at. He said, to study the Buddha Dharma, and it's sometimes translated to learn about the Buddha Dharma, so maybe it's to study and learn the Buddha Dharma, is to study the self, to learn about the self. So to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. What? Okay, so of course we start with me. There's nowhere else to start. We have to start with me. In fact, me, it's, me is here. It's alive and well on his retreat. It's just camouflaged as a Vipassana yogi. Oh, you want to be a great meditator? Fine, I'll say I'm a yogi. And, and what I really want most of all is to be free of me. But it's still me doing that. It's brilliant. We're up against the genius. Really. Okay. So what is Dogen getting at? And he says, so to, to study Buddha Dharma is to, is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by all things. Okay. Uh, I would say in my experience and what I've observed, at the beginning of this path there's a lot of overlap with psychotherapy. And just in general, uh, even if you never heard of meditation, how can you not learn something from being alive? You learn something about yourself as you live. Sometimes it's called the Street of Hard Knocks, the University of Hard Knocks. Okay. But uh, it doesn't end there. Dharma is not getting a more polished me. That's called uh, fixing up your jail cell. In other words, bringing in a, a good interior decorator, putting gold bars, nice, you know, uh, having some famous designer come in and make a beautiful cell for you. But it's still prison. Uh, what the Buddha is talking about is the end of prison. And yet, in Vipassana at least, we start with the prison. We start by examining our prison. And what's remarkable is that in the seeing of now, in the seeing of what is, in the seeing of this, which is me, in the seeing of it, it falls away. That's what the disappearing, sometimes big time, but sometimes just for a few moments. When there's really clear seeing, there's no problem. Even it might be painful. Uh, so that uh, it's an ongoing exercise in the practice of liberation. Um, once the Buddha was challenged, someone said, look, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it a bit. I don't, have all, I'm, I don't have much time. Turned out he didn't. He got killed not too far from it. I don't have much time. What's the essence of this Buddha Dharma? I don't start him with, you know, the eight this and the four that and the five this. Just give it, what's the bottom line, as we would say now? And he said, okay, three times. You, in every, all the teachings, you always have to say it three times, and then the Buddha says it, and then you get enlightened. But so far it hasn't happened to me, <laughs> even a thousand times, but okay. Uh, so the, what the Buddha says, I'm paraphrasing again, don't cling or grasp or attach to anything as being me or mine. Wow, okay. Now, let's take that. Uh, that means uh, uh, me or mine is the root of all the suffering. Every time there's suffering, take a look at who's suffering. It's me. We say craving, attachment, suffering. Find out who's, what's craving. Find out what's suffering. You'll see it's always me. It's always about me. 
So how to, how to do that, how to not cling and grasp at me, sounds exhausting. But the pract- our practice, this particular kind of practice, in a given moment, you can see the sense of me. Selfing is a term that's a pretty nice term for it. Somehow we use an activity to create a sense of ourselves, whatever that activity is. And I'll, I'll give us a few examples. Okay. And if that activity happens and it's accompanied by mindfulness, then the mind is, is, saying, is saying it's about me, but it's harmless. It's benign. If there's no awareness, then th- that's what's getting nourished. The sense of me, which is, separates us from everyone else and everything else, is getting stronger. Okay. So the seeing, uh, also at some point, I don't know, maybe you have to live a certain amount of time. Have any of you gotten really tired and bored to death of your story? Some of you, who, you know, whose hair has turned the same color as mine. How many more times can we get in, in so fascinated with our story? I saw Gone with the Wind movies three times, four times. The fifth time, I couldn't stand it. I walked out. How many more times got to hear, Brett, Brett, you know, I love you, you know. <laughs> but our story, we replay it again and again. Tell this, a new person, great, I can tell them my life story. So in a certain way, liberation is from that. It's from attachment. We have a story. It's from that. And we keep making self. All day we use anything, thoughts, situations, uh, to create a sense of self. Well, the same me that's making self, if it's seen into, that's a, a crucial insight. Now, here is where it's a, uh, something I feel we as lay people, although I think it's for all human beings, when we go back, uh, we're not going to a, a meditative monastery to live. We have, most of us, maybe all of us, we're either in a relationship, uh, well, let's say an intimate or personal relationship, a husband, a wife, a companion, a partner, whatever, roommate, children, uh, employers, workers, people. Life is made up of people. Okay. Um, and that's, of course, where we have fallen down so badly as a, as a race, the human race. We don't know how to live with each other. We started off our work together with that point, if you agree with it. Just look at the world. We humans... We've mastered so many things, but we don't know how to live with each other. Well, you have to start with yourself. If you want a peaceful world, but you're not at peace with yourself, how can you get a peaceful world? It's made up of other people who are not at peace with themselves, all all doing what? Wanting a peaceful world? Let's pray for peace. Let's. Uh, it, how can that happen? How can it come from uh, the absence of it? So uh, we're, we're working on ourselves now. Let's say if you become a monk or a nun and you choose the celibate life, in a certain way that's a very, if it's right for you, it's a wonderful strategy. There's a lot of suffering that you're eliminating. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Some of us are in them, we want to get out. Some are out, we want to get in. But it's always something going on, whether it's workers or put some human beings together, you got trouble. Even if they're all meditators, have you noticed? Okay, the question is, do we learn from that? Now, how can we turn that, since we're, that's what our life is? We're not going to a monastery. If you are, go ahead. Great. Wish you the best. But most of us aren't. 
It's just a fact. Day in and day out, we're in this world of, of relationship, of work, of school, of family, and so forth. Okay. So we have to turn a bad situation into a good situation. The very situation which is so difficult, living with each other, which drives people to monasteries. It drives us to IMS. And, so, and that's, it's good to get away from time to time, to hone certain skills that are much easier to develop here than at home. But it's not the answer unless you make it your life, your way of life. But for most of us, that's not true. Here's the a Dharma attitude I'd like to suggest to you, and that is viewing relationship as a mirror. Every time you're in the presence of another person, they're reflecting back to you. You, you, you have a reaction. And that reaction is typically conditioned. It comes out of your past. Uh, if we could include that as our practice, uh, that is more and more maintaining uh, inner awareness, not losing touch with what's happening inside as we relate to people. It's not you're with people and then suddenly say, oh, you brought up something strong in me. Excuse me for a moment. <laughs> no. It's not that at all. It's while you're attending to the other person, the other person may be your child, the other person may be whoever, but you haven't lost touch with what is coming up. At first, it's hard to do, and we forget to do it. Nothing brings up me and mine like relationship, I have found. I've done long retreats in silence, really long ones, many of them. And then two weeks back in Cambridge, and I thought I was immaculate, you know, just, just a little bit short of being a saint. Just <laughs> a little bit more to go, and sainthood is right around the corner. Uh, and all it takes is some friend to look you or some... People driving, someone cuts you off, and it, like three months of silence, down the tubes. <laughs> but it's not true. I mean, a lot has been accomplished. But can we turn the life situations itself, which are difficult, into ways not just of adjusting to it or coping with it, but actually as a very, very high practice? If the Buddha says, finally, my teachings about don't attach to me, anything as being me or mine, that's, that's emptiness, empty of me and mine. That's, that's one way to talk about emptiness. Then if relationship can help us see how lacking and empty we are, you can feel it happening in such simple things. I, I, I've been do, trying to do this for a number of years. You can learn how to do it. And what happens is your reactions start losing your, their power. Is it challenging? Yes. Do I forget to do it? Yes. But I found it so valuable and so invigorating, and also it has helped me, the people who are in my life, like my wife, very much. Uh, so if you do that, uh, simple things like, uh, you said you'd take out the garbage, it's 8 o'clock, you still haven't taken out the garbage. I'll do it when I want, you know, I'll, you know. <laughs> okay, you know, you can, me, me just pops up, it's just really alive and well, you know, and, oh, Wow. You know, and little by little, uh, that starts to empty itself. Now, some of you have, have posed in the groups and in individual interviews questions of how to act in situations with other people. You have tr problems with them, children, whoever. If you, what I have the most faith in is that your action is not coming from what you've learned from the Buddha or from your parents or from a church or a Sunday school or a synagogue. 
That may be good teaching, but what I have the most confidence in, it's not either or again, is if you start becoming better at tuning into your reactivity, it starts getting weaker. And something else is available then. You can call it silence. You can call it clear mind. And then the actions that issue forth from that clear mind. That's why if you tell me, well, my my son does this, that, and the other, uh, what should I do? I don't know. But I have more confidence that what, whatever you do say or do is much more likely to be wiser and kinder if you feel your anxiety, your frustration, take care of it, and then it's possible for a response to come. A response is not mechanical. It may be the very same words. And I've done this with many parents in Cambridge. Their child leaves crumbs on the table, starting with small stuff. Uh, Johnny, it's always the guy for some reason. You know, Johnny, would you clean up after yourself? Johnny, would you, day after day, finally. Uh, Johnny, uh, finally, you, you know, and you lose it. Okay, if you can take that on as a practice, Johnny is your teacher. Is there any Johnny here? I mean, you know, nothing personal. It's a made-up name. Okay. Uh, and you might say the same thing about cleaning up your crumbs, but the energy is different. It's not, the energy of reaction is mechanical and often forceful. Crado, Matthew, may I have your permission to go a little longer? <laughs> I need a, a you know, convincing assent. Yeah. Matthew? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if you look at it this way, uh, that area which is so difficult becomes rich, a rich source. And it's not just couples adjustment. If, let's say if it's about a marriage or, or a companion or living with each other. It's not just about coping or adjusting. Because what happens is, as you get to see the other person, as you get to, you meet the other person and are willing to see what is brought up in you, uh, you the kind of learning you do is in line with dharma. It's a dharma practice. It's not coping. It's not putting up with. Now, in doing this with people in Cambridge, very often, so the main thing to learn is that you see self is there. Me comes up alive and well. But we're such a psychological culture that it comes up and then people start spinning out. Oh, this is because when I was a child, I did this. And I said, yes, that's true. But haven't you been over that two million times? Uh, shorthand for that, it's me. All that is just, it's me in a different shape and form. It's still all me. I know, but when I was, you know, uh, no, it's me. Okay. So uh, if you do that, it's, it's a, it's a first-rate Dharma practice. And we're not in a monastery. When you can go to a retreat center, by all means go. Try to have a sitting practice. Not try. Have a regular sitting practice every day. Of course. But much of our life isn't. Let me give you examples of how, uh, very practical examples of what we mean here. Um, if you take tea ceremony, I've done a little studying that, and Karada was afraid I was going to start telling you how to make tea and uh, which cups, you know, what, how much temperature for green tea and for black. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Let's say if you read uh, some of the, there are a few, I think, authentic tea masters. A lot of it, to me, I doubt it. You know, they're just having a cup of tea. But look, 
look, let's take a look at that. Let's say all it really is, if you take a fresh look, you never read any literature about, because tea has, uh, has had a, a, a strong tradition. The monks brought it from China to Japan, Korea, Vietnam, and sometimes it is very much a part of a practice, a practice. Okay, but if you look at it, you take some leaves, you boil up some water, let it cool down a little, you throw the leaves in, you let it steep for a few minutes, and you drink it. What's so spiritual about that? Nothing. You know, it's just, all right, you drink it. Uh, what's so spiritual about what Matthew's teaching? You know, why, why is that dharma? You bend the body forward, you know, then your body sideways, you breathe in, you breathe out. All right, it's nice exercise. You get a nicer butt, better thighs. Your health, maybe your health improves a little. Friend showed me a, uh, an advertisement from a yoga center in Los Angeles. We don't burn karma, we burn up fat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so now let's say if you're doing those postures that Matthew showed you, and, uh, and of course it can have, at very least, uh, help the body be able to sit, and it can improve the quality of breathing, all of which are assets not only in general health, but to if you're going to be a meditator, it's very helpful. It also can feed the ego. You become, you know, you start walking around like this, you know, and nice outfits that they sell now, leotards that, you know, do you do yoga? Yes, I happen to do some. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, that's me and mine. It can be a healthier me, it can be a, a, a less healthy me. It's still me or mine. But when, and at first, of course, you've got to learn the techniques with self-conscious, which foot goes this way, how to place it, and so forth, how to make tea, uh, and uh, I'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, <laughs> what, what Matthew is trying to accomplish is there are stages you go through it, but it can become such that you're 100%, you become the posture. There's no me or mine in it. You disappear in the process of executing a forward bend or in the process of doing any of the movements you're learning. But it also can be true of washing a pot. Uh, it can be true of, you tell me. Now, if you read the literature on tea, as I've read, some of the tea ceremony stuff, uh, and I've read the history of it, I can't help, it's just fun for me. Uh, People would spend a lot of time on getting ancient teapots and cups from ancient China and be competitive who had the most beautiful and it was aesthetic and tea houses and all. There's nothing particular dharmic about it at all. And then also health. It turns out we found out, and it's been known for thousands of years, green tea is good for our health, white tea as well, etc. Oolong. Okay. It's still not dharma. So... There's one, uh, Rikyu, who was one, a, a great tea master, a Japanese tea master, said, his, his was called the tea of no host and no guest. Okay, now, what, that wouldn't make sense unless you, if you read the literature, it's just full of host and guest. That's all they're talking about. How to be a good host, how to uh, have the tea room be clean, how to, the calligraphy, the pathway, uh, the flowers, it's just endless, every little movement to be correct. Uh, for the different seasons and so forth. Okay. Uh, and the whole point is for the host to really um, fully take care of someone and for the, for the guest to be a full guest to receive it. So what is Rikyu saying? The tea of no host and no guest. What it means is 
me, that's me, me disguised as a host, me decked out as a guest. It's still me, but the function of the host is not necessarily me. In other words, the host can be doing the hosting without it being uh, uh, nourishing me in it. And the guest can fully be receiving the tea without it being guest, making guest. Don't make guest, don't make host. And for the yoga stuff, don't make the cover of the yoga journal. First of all, you're not going to make it, so give up on that one. They have people who are, you know, they're like, they could be in a circus, you know, who can do that stuff. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. Look, so that everything is that, so that it becomes an application of fully practicing awareness being brought, each activity, you give yourself over to it 100%. And that's what Dogen means by in studying the self, in studying Buddha Dharma, you study the self. In studying the self, you forget the self. That is when you, now to begin with, of course we're not doing that. Of course we're not doing that. But let's say once you start mastering the movements of a yoga posture, and once tea becomes more familiar to you, or whatever you want to talk about, washing pots, etc., the time can come, and maybe you've already had moments of it. I think you probably have. If you're a runner, sometimes runners talk about their experience. They disappear into the running. I know with, with breath awareness, sometimes the breather disappears and you're just being breathed, and it's wonderful. The world is so much better off without Larry Rosenberg. I'm talking about myself. But that's just Larry Rosenberg. I don't mean, it's, I'm not talking about, attempt, I'm not attempting suicide. What I mean is me. Uh, me is the problem because you've got all these me's, all of us meeting each other, and taking, I'm taking care of my me, you take care of your me, and, oh, you say nice things about me, oh, will you be my friend? Then they change your mind. I thought that person was uh, sincere. They're not. They're phony. You know? okay. So living and practicing, the world can help free us. We have to learn how to use our life just as it is in order to help free us from the very problems that afflict us, particularly with people, we with each other. Um, it doesn't discredit psychological self-knowledge. I don't mean to, at any rate. Personally, living in Cambridge as I do, if there weren't many, many very good psychotherapists and psychoanalysts, I would have been dead a long time ago. Because people would come with problems that were overwhelming, and I'm not trained to deal with some of that. We talk about tsunami. These are emotional tsunamis. But there are some very good therapists who have worked with that, that is sometimes set up for it, and more effective than meditation. And sometimes the both can work together. Uh, but they, there's some overlap, but at a certain point they depart and are different. And it's up to you. What do you want? But learning how to live has to do with the project of... Um, I think, for me, one of my main turning points was as a freshman in college was Socrates. Uh, I fell in love with my idea of who Socrates was. I don't know who he was. But thoughts like, know thyself, that sounded so obviously the most important question there could be. And someone asked him, says, well, okay, know thyself. He would walk around saying that all the time. Do you know yourself? And he said, no. He said, but I know I don't know. Maybe that's that famous don't know mind. I'm not sure, beginner's mind. But he would say, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. 
Now, that's a pretty harsh statement. I know that. But it's the examining of your life that improves the quality of it. It's not going to happen automatically. We have to care about how we live. We have to make living something we care about. The quality of our life, that's what, that, like you care about a certain art. If you love photography, you care. You keep improving your ability to get a good photograph. The light has to be right. and the, you, know, you know all that. Whatever your love of, is or whatever skill system you like. Can we bring that into the way we live? Uh, I think the human race needs it desperately. We all do. We always have needed it. Socrates also said, and maybe we should just end off here, um, the big question is, how is one to live? We're born into this body. You know, you have your life situation, I have mine. This is it. You might say, well, I wish I weren't this age. I should have started meditation when I was... I went through a phase where I spent so much time, sport, I was very sports, basketball, football, baseball. Then I went, you know, uh, academic studies. I, and then finally I discovered this, you know, sort of late 30s, my, my late 30s. And why did I spend so much time, you know, throwing this round thing through a hoop, you know, and tennis? And I could have started meditating when I came out of the womb, you know. <laughs> Instead, I wasted all my time, you know, dating and doing all this other stuff. No, because it's, the practice is always going to be, you start right here, right now. And I'll leave you with this. Uh, knowing how to live, learning how to live, how is one to live? That question, that, that doesn't go away. It's almost moment to know, how, how am I to live? We have this life. Life is to be lived. That's the most obvious, seems to me, truth. We don't, we're given this body, this life, to be lived. But then how do you do that? And each of us has to decide how to do it. Those of us who have come here, you're, you're trying to, you have a certain inclination. You're trying to guide your life a certain way. I hope this is helpful for you. You have to do your side. Learning can only be done by you, by the learner. No one can do it for you. Um, and, and this is, I'll leave you with this, and that's why whether you're here or you're home, or you're in a relationship, or you have robes on, or you're celibate, or you're not celibate, I got this line from one of the worst films I've ever seen. Called, it was called Buckaroo Banzai. It was a film, and I walked out after 20 minutes, but there was one line, it stayed with me forever. It is magnificent. Buckaroo Banzai, who's a big jerk, you know, in the movie, uh, at one point he says, you know, wherever you go, there you are again. I went like, wow. That got me to, you know, to stay a few minutes longer. Then I realized that was it. There's nothing else in the film, you know. So... Whatever your life situation is, you have a certain kind of body, a certain health situation, certain familial situation, uh, education, you know, whatever, that's what you have, this is it. Have you accepted that yet? And also, the world we live in is exactly this way. This is really happening. This is it, just this. We have to start. So whether you're, uh, you're just beginning or you've been practicing for a while or whatever chronological age you have, all of us are always starting with now, again and again and again. There, there we are again. And that's it, right until the last breath. So I hope this retreat, I think on behalf of all three of us, has been of some value to you. Um, and whether you continue on this path, it's up to you. But whatever you do, um, please do it. That's it.
we have a few moments of silence? May we continue to look into ourselves. May we see things exactly as they are. And may such clear, direct seeing free us. Uh, In interviews today, a lot of people were using the phrase light touch, light touch. And I must admit, I got a little jealous and intimidated because that Corrado's was saying that light touch, light touch. Then I realized that's part of our value as a team. He's the last of the European gentlemen with a light touch, and I'm the last of the Brooklyn loudmouths with a sledgehammer touch. <laughs> and if you don't get it the light touch way, then I come in and hit you over the head with it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.